Amen. What a powerful name it most certainly is. That there's no other name on heaven or earth um, that can love us and heal us and give us hope like the name of Jesus. Um, Such is why we are here. Uh, We are here today also to celebrate all of uh, the wonderful women of our community and um, for who I am incredibly grateful. Uh, Firstly, uh, for uh, the the closest um, vision I have of motherhood in my life right now is Elise and she's off to be at Rocky's rugby game at the moment. Um, I'm grateful for uh, the mother that she is to our kids and our family and I'm grateful for Um, Every one of you who in my life or my kids' lives have also um, brought the mother's heart um, into their lives and into my life. I'm grateful for um, all of those glances that I have received from my mothers in the faith that have been the Dave, pull your head in kind of um, glances. I'm grateful for the encouragement that I've received uh, from um, so many women in our church And um, I am grateful for um, all of the uh, people who have said yes to leading our children in their kids' ministry uh, programs and beyond programs, but in prayer and in love, um, that those who are discipling the kids of our church, um, what you bring to this community is incredibly invaluable, and I am personally grateful for it. And so for every effort and everything that you have put in, for every prayer you have prayed Um, for our church and for our kids, women, I thank you um, from the bottom of my heart. Um, We're in the midst, uh, well, in week two, um, which I guess is in the midst of a series that we're doing here called Unhurried, and we're looking at this topic of ruthlessly eliminating hurry from our lives. And if you were here last week, you would have been part of the uh, Houston, we have a problem kind of moment. Uh, where we looked and unpacked the problem of hurry in our lives, particularly distraction, and how how trying to keep up with all of the things in our lives, and we have so much to do that we have to just hurry to get through them all, and the impact that that has on our hearts, the impact that has on our connection with God, our connection with each other, our connection to what God is doing in our lives. We looked at the markers of hurry sickness, and as I read that list again, I realized that yes, I suffer the insidious disease of hurry sickness, and perhaps you do as well. Sometimes that looks different for us in different seasons of life, uh, but nonetheless, um, regardless of where we are at and the season of life we're in, um, if we aren't experiencing it, at least the risk is there that we do, that we move through life at such a breakneck pace that we just cannot keep up and everything and everyone around us suffers when we hurry. Such is the call to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives with the subtitle, and we're working through John Mark Comer's book by that title, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, um, how to stay emotionally healthy and spiritually alive in the chaos of the modern world. And if that doesn't speak to the very heart of our culture, then I'm not quite sure what does, um, because these things are vital for us, but are also compromised that our emotional health and our spiritual vitality um, are on, um, can be questioned by our pace and our hurry and the chaos of our modern world. And so today we begin looking at um, the solution uh, to unhurrying our lives. 
And uh, again, the invitation of Jesus in the midst of that. And then for the four weeks after this week, um, with one week in between, uh, where we have no service. So next week, Daz Farrell's preaching on Sabbath. And the following Sunday, guess what we're doing? Sabbath. We are putting into practice um, what we are also preaching through. And so my heart is that next week, as you hear Daz share on Sabbath, that uh, we can implement things on the following Sunday that would bring to life the Word of God as we've heard um, it next week. Um, And then we're looking at silence and solitude and simplicity and slowing. Um, And as we will see, um, the answer is quite practical in how to unhurry our lives. So who has ever got to the end of the day or found yourself in a fluster declaring to all in earshot, if only I had more time. If only I had more time. I mean, find me a mum in the room that has never said that and I'll give you the million dollars that I don't have. That how often you have got to the end of a working day or you've got to the end of all of the things that need to be done to you know, keep families and households and life and everything happening and you just get to the end of the day and you're looking at the, the undone to-do list and you're like, if only I had more time, then I could get all of this done. But friends, the answer is not more time. Because what would we do? If we had an extra 10 hours in our life, what would we do with it? More things. More commitments, more activity. Our to-do lists would be populated even more so. More dropping off of the kids, more picking up of the kids. All we'd achieve is winding up more exhausted, more depleted, and more emotionally frayed than we already are. So if more time is not the answer to the hurry sickness that we all experience and the over-busy lives we lead, then what is the answer? I mean, is the answer to do the same things but more efficiently? Is the answer to download more apps onto your phone to increase your productivity? Is the answer to hire a full-time personal assistant to manage all of your personal affairs and household affairs? I mean, while efficiency and productivity and outsourcing may have their place and be helpful, they are not the answer to unhurrying our lives. Doing things more quickly doing things more expediently, doing things more efficiently with a higher rate of productivity, don't hear me wrong. Those things are great and wonderful. Let's work smarter and not harder. That's a good thing. But they are not the answer to unhurrying our lives. The answer, and I'm giving it to you up front. Usually I like to leave you hanging, create some tension in the room, and then boom at the end, bring it home. But today... I'm going to give you the answer. It is to, as John Mark Comer puts it in his book, is to slow down and simplify life around what really matters most. And over the years, our culture at large has tried to push back against the hurried life through the rise of things like essentialism um, and minimalism. You know, when we search for something these days, we have the verb called Googling it. Google it. And when we have too much stuff in our lives or too many things to tidy up, 
there's another verb, it's called Marie Kondoing it. And she wrote the book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, The Japanese Art of Decluttering and Organizing People. And this sparked a resurgence, if not a rebirth, of the movement of minimalism just within a few years ago. Bookshelves around the world are sagging under the weight of literature that is written to try and solve the problem of the fast-paced life. And people like Kondo and a swathe of others have made a living off the back of humanity who have too much stuff to squeeze into finite spaces and too much to do to fit into finite time. But all this mob and our culture more broadly are doing are catching up with what Jesus' followers have been banging on about for thousands of years. As the people of God, our story doesn't start at the calendar year zero, but in the beginning, where through the pages of Scripture we come to understand that we were made in the image, or sorry, made from two things. One, we were made in the image of God, which is just a confounding, mind-blowing, we could give the rest of our lives to just coming to grips with that truth. But also we come to understand that we were made from dust, two sides of the one coin. That as people made in the image of God, we are people of incredible potential. We have the divine capacity in our very DNA. We are like God, created to be bearers of his image, embodying his behavior, to rule like he does, to like how God has done and continues to do, take raw materials be they ideas or resources, and reshape them for the purposes of humans and for communities and for the very planet itself to flourish and to thrive. Yet, while that is true, that we are image bearers of Creator God, that we are also dust. Coma calls us the original biodegradable container. From dirt we were made and from dirt to dirt we will return. Created both with the breath of heaven, only down the track to be consumed by either flame or earthworm in the end. A bit grim, I apologise. In contrast to the immortality immortalness of our God-likeness, we are mortal beings bound by limitations within the finiteness of this fragile human construct. I am a limited being, albeit a being created in the image of God. Both things are true at the same time. That we both have incredible potential but we are also incredibly limited. And holding hands with both potential and our limitation is one of the main tasks of the Christian life. You know, we have so many versions of describing the potential part. You know, to live our best life, to, to be the best you you can be, that everybody deserves to feel awesome. It's even on my shirt. Everyone deserves to feel awesome. 
which is the coined phrase by our mate Blake Johnston down at Cronulla that surfed the 40 hours a couple of weeks ago. You know, I wonder though if the hype and buzz of self-improvement and reaching our fullest potential has caused us to forget or at least push to the back of the wardrobe our limitations. John Mark Comer sarcastically suggests the ridiculousness of the idea of there being a New York Times bestseller called Accepting Your Limitations, How to Make Peace with Your Mortality and Cosmic Insignificance. This wouldn't fly. He says we live in a culture that wants to transgress all limitations, not accept them. To cheat time and space, to be like God, to watch every new film, listen to every new podcast, read every new book, hear every record, go to every concert, drive up, drive every road trip, travel to every country, eat at every new restaurant, party at every new bar opening, befriend every new face, fix every problem in society, rise to the top of every field, win every award, and make every list of who's who. If we didn't have limitations... The people selling us endless hours of entertainment wouldn't have needed to create the wish list or the queue or the watch later section because you could just read it all. But alas, our wish lists on Amazon and our your list on Netflix, you know the one I'm talking about. It has all barrels loaded, ready to go, an entire year's worth of watching already preloaded for you. It's all full of things that we wish we had time to watch, time to read. Our must-travel list gets longer and longer, and our I-gotta-eat-there list seems to grow and never diminish. And soon enough, we can find ourselves suffering from entertainment anxiety, those feelings that come with having so much to watch, and so many places to go and so many places to visit that at the suggestion of any more, be it from your suggested list or from a loved friend, that our heart rates increase and minds begin to flit and flicker with the anxiety of having so much to consume and do and no time to do it. Friend, maybe today you need to be reminded of this one fact. You can't do it all. And coming to terms with this as truth is the beginning of releasing ourselves from the expectations that we either put on ourselves to feel like we have to do it all or the expectations that are rammed down our eye holes and throats from the marketers who view us nothing but as profit in their pockets. And just in case you weren't aware that you had any limitations, thinking this doesn't apply to me, Dave, I am limitless, I can be the best I can be, I can get it all done, there's nothing holding me back from being all that God has created me to do, there nothing stands in my way. Let me give you a few. We're limited in body. I mean, this glorious rig can't do everything. There's just some things I physically cannot do. There are limitations around our bodies. We are limited in mind. 
There's only so much our minds can hold. You know, Elise knows this full well, that I can only hold about two instructions at once at best. And the mornings when she's out at work early and it's my job to get the kids going to school, there are post-it notes on lunch boxes with their name. There's post-it notes on the fruit. Eat this. The night before, it'd be, hey, this is what's happening in the morning. This, this, this. I'm just going, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down. I cannot hold it all. Our minds are very limited. We're limited in our giftings. God hasn't whacked you with the superhuman stick. There will always be someone better than you at what you do. It's just true. Our personalities and our emotional wiring is a limitation. We each only have so much capacity. Capacity that is um, determined by a multiplicity of factors but is to a large degree in step with how we're wired. Now, I am an extroverted, action-loving, pretty uneasy in my own company kind of guy, but sometimes I just need to escape. I need to tap out. I need to get my trackies on and get a book and hide in bed. I need to get in the boat and go as far out to sea as I feel comfortable to do. I need to bury myself in a DIY or a creative project of sorts. Now, I sometimes look at people who are wired like me, but seem to be able to do it way better. And all I do is compare myself to others in a joy-robbing contest of my own creation. We're limited by our families of origin. None of us start with a blank slate. Some of us start with a leg up. Others walk with a limp from an early age. Parental presence or absence, faith in the family, it might, might have been deep, it might have been nominal, or perhaps in your family there's no faith at all. Generational poverty, predispositions toward mental health challenges, how conflict is handled. There are limits on us that were there before you and I even entered the world. Our socioeconomic origins... Despite the myth of the great Aussie dream, whatever that means these days, some people have more opportunity than others. And we know in this country that privilege is all too often connected to the colour of your skin or the postcode that you live in. Now, this isn't to shame people like me who are white, male, middle class living in the Shire, but to recognise that the game has been rigged in my favour. And that no matter how hard any of us try, there will always be people better off than us. Our education and our careers, our access to education and level that we choose to attain is a limitation. Our careers can limit us through our earning capacity, through the physical toll uh, or mental toll that our jobs take on us in mind or body. Our limited opportunity maybe to upskill or Our limitation because of success means that you have to work so many insane hours just to stay on top of it all. We are limited people. If you haven't seen it yet, I can keep going. Because I could tell you that our seasons of life limit us. There are things that I used to be able to do pre-kids that are just an impossibility with kids. There are things that I used to be able to do in my 20s in that season of life that because of the limitations now in my early 30s, Um, that I just can't get to. 
In our 83.2 years on this planet, on average, if we're so blessed, there's no guarantee that the New Testament likens our life to a wisp. And whether our life lasts 18 years or 118, we can't do it all, not this side of eternity anyway. Lastly, God's call on our lives is also a limitation. might sound blasphemous. But as followers of Jesus, we all have a primary calling to love him and to love others and to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all that Jesus has commanded. That is our calling. We all share that in common. But we have this sense of secondary calling also in our lives. And invariably, that God, as he calls us to certain things and places, it puts limitations on us. I would love to be semi-retired at 40 and just live the life. But I've got a deep sense of God's call on my life and on our family that places a limitation on my ability to go and live in Indonesia or Fiji for six months of the year. God's call also brings limitation to us. But what if these limitations aren't something to fight? What if they are to be gratefully accepted as a signpost to God and his call on our lives? What if God is to be found in our limitations and not beyond them? Does our desire to want to run ahead of God and to beat the limitations... And to be all that we can be, are we running ahead of God when really within our limitations is the place he wants to speak? Scazzaro says on his Emotionally Healthy podcast, we find God's will for our lives in our limitations. In fact, recognizing our limitations that we can't do it all, see it all, be it all, be at it all, earn it all, watch it all, achieve it all, visit it all, know it all, organize it all, experience it all, is where we find God's will for our lives. So the one limitation that we all share is time. And irrespective of the limitations of our physical, mental and emotional capacities or those of our giftings, callings, seasons of life, education, career, money, lifespan, all of those things, it is time that you and I all have in common. 24 sweet hours of it a day, not one second more and not one second less. It is a limitation that we all have in common. And this equal footing that we all have puts the ball squarely in our court when it comes to how we choose to use it. It starts getting a little bit confronting now, I'm sorry. At least it does for me anyway. Because life is a series of choices. For every yes, there are a thousand no's. Every activity we give our time to is a thousand other activities we can't give our time to. We must learn to say no constantly. A lady named Anne Lamott, she pointed out that no is a complete sentence and it's one we need to work into our vocabulary. Comer in his book throws a quick jab at us with this question. And we'll beat a quick jab, one that hurts. Do you ever catch yourself with a sneaking suspicion that you'll wake up on your deathbed 
with this nagging sense that somehow in all of the hurry and busyness and frenetic activity, you missed the most important things. He doesn't end with his, his jab and he comes with a series of right hooks and uppercuts. He says, somehow you started a business but ended a marriage. You got your kids their dream uni or degree but never taught them the way of Jesus. You got letters after your name but learned the hard way that intelligence is not the same as wisdom. You made a lot of money but never grew rich in the things that matter most, which ironically aren't things at all. You watched all 14 seasons of Insert Your Favourite Show but never learned to love prayer. And as I read this section of John Mark Comer's book, it hit me right in the awareness that I waste so much time on things that don't really matter at all. There's an American study that puts our average use, and I'm not assuming we're too far off, of social media amounting to 705 hours per year. Which is kind of, I think I could stomach that. It doesn't seem huge. And then throw on top of that 2,737.5 hours per year of watching TV. We watch heaps more TV than we are on social media because TV is better than social media. But add those two numbers together, you get about 3,500 hours. That's 145 days. 145 days. I mean, this is American, it's them, it's not us. We wouldn't be that high, for sure. (laughs) But 145 24-hour periods spent scrolling on social media and watching television. And when people say, I don't have enough time, perhaps being armed with statistics like that, there's quite a bit of leverage to say... How are you choosing to use it? As lovingly and as kindly and as politely as you possibly can. It's confronting. How much time do we spend doing things that don't really matter? In Ephesians 5, 15 to 16, Paul says this. Look carefully then how you walk. I guess that's what we're doing as a church over this six weeks. And I hope beyond that we do, in fact, look carefully at our hearts, that we look carefully at our schedule, that we look carefully at our pace. Look at this not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And Coma suggests that the phrase making the best use of time can be translated from the Greek in a few ways. One being this, redeeming the time. Making the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every chance you get. It says every day is a chance, every hour an opportunity, every moment a precious gift. How will you spend Yours? Will you squander them on trivial things or invest them in the eternal kind of things that God points us toward? So, if the answer is not more time, and if we cannot argue with the limitations within which you and I live our lives, how then do we slow down? How do we simplify? 
How do we live deliberately right in the middle of this chaotic, noisy, busy, digitally interrupted life that we each call home? And it ought not come as a surprise that the answer to this question is follow Jesus. I feel like it should have been fireworks at that moment or something. I mean, is it too understated for that to be the truth that could truly set us free? That the answer to our hurried life the answer to the busyness of our soul, mind, body. The answer to the distraction, the answer to the waste, the answer to all of the chasings and longings that the world would try and get us on board its train with. That the answer is perhaps as simple yet so incredibly profound that we would do exactly as Jesus asked, follow me. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 contains one of the sweetest invitations that Jesus delivered to his first followers, one that extends to you and I today. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light eugene peterson in the message version appropriates this text in such a heart enlivening way are you tired worn out burned out on religion come to me Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That to anyone who is tired and to anyone who is feeling burned out, to anyone who is feeling like they are in the clutches of stress, wanting to run away and hide, wanting to distract yourself, wanting to numb it all, for those behind on their to-do lists, for those who are very aware right now of everything in your life that is currently undone. For those reaching for another cup of coffee just to get through the day. Jesus' invitation is not a distant echo from the pages of Scripture, but an invitation for you that has reverberated down the hallways of history to people who have hurried and rushed their way through life, that God's hope, his dream, his plan, his longing, that this invitation to follow him, to, to come to him, 
would rest gently in every unrested corner of your heart. Buried deep within Jesus' invitation is a truth that sets him apart from any other person, any other entity, any other religion, any other stream of modern or ancient spirituality that promises wholeness but always under-delivers. That truth is that Jesus' yoke is easy. Maybe sitting here this morning wondering, hang on Dave, I've been going to church all my life. I've served on all of the rosters. I brought morning tea this morning. I've been helping on missions projects, giving away my money to the cause of Christ. I've been to all the prayer meetings. I've got an A plus on my small group attendance. I've been at all of the things and I'm still fatigued and I'm still worn out and I'm still burned out. In the yoke of this Jesus thing, perhaps you're thinking, Dave, is, this hasn't actually made anything easier for me, but harder. But signing up to this Jesus life whenever, how old I was, it's actually made me more tired and more fatigued. You know, it's easy to make the doing for Jesus rather than the being with Jesus the foundation of our relationship with him. I've been there. And I think this is what Peterson is getting at when he asks if we're burned out on religion. The life of Jesus is not found in ticking all of the right boxes and doing all of the right things or having perfect theology. That's religion. Coma puts to us that if we want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. He goes on to challenge us, saying that the issue is that we read the stories of Jesus, we read of his joy, we see his resolute peace through uncertainty, we see his unanxious presence, we see his relaxed manner and how in the moment he was, and we think, I want that life. We hear his open invite to the life to the full, and we think, sign me up. We hear about his easy yoke and soul deep rest, and we think, heck yes. I need that. But then the challenge is, are we willing to adopt his lifestyle? See, unhurrying our lives, as it turns out, is actually quite practical. Following Jesus is more than a set of ideas, what we would call theology, and it's more than a a set of do's and don'ts that we would call ethics, It's a way of life shaped and formed by his very life. And the answer is not more time. The the answer is adopting Jesus' lifestyle as our way of life. And I'm sorry if this sounds too simplistic. But I think I need the simplistic. Because I think I've overcomplicated it. We're trying to think too many of the right things and do too many of the right things that I've actually walked away from the very lifestyle of Jesus having a rich awareness about Jesus, having great ideas about Jesus, reading scripture and loving finding out about Jesus. But has all of that come at the expense of living as Jesus lived? Churches are great at talking theology and ethics, but as Coma says, lifestyle is where the money is. 
If you want to experience the life to the full of Jesus, his non-stop conscious enjoyment of God's presence and his world, all you have to do is adopt not only his theology and ethics, because look, they're important. Don't hear me say that. Theology and ethics, vitally important in our faith. But also his lifestyle. Just follow his way. See, we are called by God to take Jesus' life as a template for our own to take on his habits and practices, to take on his pace and his focus, to take on his closeness and communion with the Father, his present in the momentness with others. We are to take on his love of conversation, take on his love and connectedness with the world that he created, take on his love for telling stories and for hearing stories. Take on his love of eating meals in homes and on beaches and, yes, going fishing. The greatest gift that Jesus gave was to let me know that I can fish more. Spending time with friends and mostly his not being rushed. Because Jesus, if we sit with the Gospels long enough, we will come to see that Jesus was never in a rush. The Gospels are replete with moments where Jesus could have rushed, but didn't. I mean, think of Mary and Martha when Lazarus was so sick he was about to die. And they sent word to Jesus, hey, come and heal him. And Jesus sent word back, just give me a few days. I've got a couple of errands to run. There's a hot bite on and I've got to catch all the fish while they're, while they're on. I preached a whole message of this over Easter down in Tasmania at the Christian Surface National Gathering, that he is the way in the waiting and what God does in these times of waiting because he is never in a rush. As we look to the life of Christ, what we see in him is that he made sure to inject a healthy dose of margin into his life. It's been said that margin is the space between our load and our limits. And for many of us, there is no space between our load and our limits. That we're not at 80% with room to breathe, but we are at 100% all of the time. I love this statement, that Jesus' weekly schedule was a prophetic act against the hurried rhythms of our world. Wow. Jesus' weekly schedule was a prophetic act against the hurried rhythms of our world. Coma points out that he would regularly get up on the, in the morning and go off to a quiet place to be with his father. There's a story in Jesus' ministry where the disciples woke up and Jesus was gone. He'd left before dawn just to be alone and greet the day in the quiet. Sometimes he would go away overnight for even, or even a few weeks at a time just to get away from the crowds and gather himself to God. More than once we read stories about Jesus sleeping in and the disciples having to wake him up. Lord, I want that, I want that in my life. And every chance he got, he would enjoy a nice long meal with friends over a bottle of wine 
creating space for in-depth conversations about the highs and lows of life. He would practice Sabbath on a weekly basis, an entire day set aside for nothing but rest and worship every single week. Then he practiced simplicity before it was cool, just the clothes on his back. You don't read any stories of him out shopping, hitting Westfield for a new outfit for an appearance at the temple, or hunting online for a new pair of Havianas or slides when he's already got 15 pairs back at home. No, he lived freely and lightly. Free of all the discontent and distraction that comes with too much money and too much stuff that he didn't need and nor do we. And we could go on, but the point is simple, that Jesus puts on display an unhurried life where space for God and love for people were the top priorities. And because he said yes to the Father and his kingdom, he constantly said no to countless other invitations. This is the Jesus who turned around to his early followers and said, follow me. And, and right now, the risen Jesus who is present among us, residing in our hearts, he is calling out to the unrested places in our lives. And he is sitting with us as we calendar out our next week and our next month. And he sits with us in the quiet places of our own frustrations with how busy we are. And the same call is whispered gently and humbly in our direction. Come, follow me. Walk with me and work with me and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I'll invite the band to come back up. We'll finish in a song of worship in just a moment. That's two minutes to 11. There, There is a miracle in the house this morning. Let's all stand together. And, uh, we just, just take a moment to invite the Holy Spirit into our moment and into our hearts and ask um, Him to reveal what He would want us to take away. Uh, because the words of Dave, they count for nothing. The words of Holy Spirit and what He is saying uh, to you and how He is leading you to a, a place of deepened obedience to His voice is what matters most. You know, in my tiredness, I wish that Jesus would... Um, offer me a cozy lounge by the fire or um, an invitation to go and have a sleep or get away on a, a holiday, but he has more and he has better than that. You know, the rest that we think we need, he has greater rest in mind than we could ever hope, dream or imagine. What we think is our most rested self, the vision of rest that God has for your life, granted through his grace and his love for you, is so rich. And he realizes the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life and a fresh way to bear the responsibilities that we all have. A clever clot named Frederick Bruner said, instead of offering an escape, which is often what we look, look for, Jesus offers equipment being the yoke. Jesus means that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount, which is his yoke, will develop in us a balance and a way 
of carrying life that will give more rest than the way that we have been living. And Lord, I need that. More rest than the way that I've been living. And he offered then and he offers to us now a whole new way to bear the weight of our humanity. And it might sound confusing, but he gives us a way to carry that weight with ease. Counterintuitive, I know, but such is his grace. That at his side, like two oxen in a field, he and us, Jesus and, and me, Jesus and you, tied shoulder to shoulder with Jesus doing all of the heavy lifting at his pace, slowly, unhurried, present to the moment, full of love and joy and peace. And so my invitation is only that to echo the scripture. That are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Go to him. Get away with him and you'll recover your life. Friend, he will show you how to take real rest. Walk with him and work with him. I encourage you this week to open the word and watch how he does it. Learn from him the unforced rhythms of grace. And I must take him at his word that he won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting upon you. Can I encourage you to keep company with him? And I'm going to try and do the same. I'll do my best. I can guarantee you this. I will get distracted. And I won't get it right. And at times, this old heart of mine will get hurried. But I want to commit, if you're willing to go there with me, to keep company with Him. And we together learn to live lightly and live freely. So, Father, I ask that you would um, continue the work that you are already doing in our hearts in this moment right now. Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to us the work that you want to do. That you would speak the word into our heart that you have for us to say. Father, that we would not feel one bit um, like you are speaking down to us. You don't want us to feel guilty or shameful. We just except that we all just get it wrong at times. We don't see the full picture. And we at times have a hard time of obeying and seeing clearly and not being swept up. It just happens. For which we just keep coming back and we just say sorry. And you look at us with eyes of deep love and grace and forgiveness and say, it's okay, I've paid for all of that. I've done it. It's dealt with. It's as far from the east as from the west. Now get on with it, following me, and I will show you the way. Father, I pray that as we go this morning that we would have a lightness 
and a freedom as we consider the fact that we don't have to do this on our own, but you are with us every step of the way. That yours is an easy yoke and it is a light burden. And Father, we walk away this morning lighter than when we came in. Because of you and your love and your grace and your presence and your help and your sustaining power and your strength. And your way of life, Jesus. Help us over these coming weeks to see how you did it more clearly. And that we would practically live out our lives shaped and mapped and formed on yours. In Jesus' name, amen.